Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is a conversation I had myself with Rory Hearn on the launch of his new book, Gaffs, which, by the way, I'm biased, but I think it's a really excellent read. As I say, do get a copy of it and try and buy it from an independent bookstore. You know what I'm going to say, we need your support, we need you to help us keep these conversations going. We need to keep these mics on. How you do that is you join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is in the podcast that you're listening to right now. And for that, you get access to all of our con- all of our content in one place, plea free. You don't have to listen to these inserts and you get them as quickly as we can turn them around, including some incredible content over the last few days, whereby we've spoken to Nicholas De, De- Leal in Colombia. We've spoken to... Graziella David in in Brazil, which was just brilliant to get her insight. Uh, I don't know how she's not on Irish airwaves more often. And the first time appearance by Tara Safari Farr, who spoke to us about events in Iran and was able to trace them back to 1979. A really, really brilliant insight. It took me a while to find someone who would come on and speak about the events that have happened since the 14th of October. Tara was well worth waiting for. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for subscribing and leaving reviews and all of those things. But please, if you can, click on the Patreon link. See if there's a level that fits your budget because it's the only way we keep these shows on the road. Thanks for listening and I won't delay you anymore. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast... I've already done it now. <laughs> go again. Keep it. Go again. Don't, see, don't keep it. Go again. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that, that goes behind the headlines and looks at the solutions in this republic of inequality. The, we are the podcast of hope and the podcast of solutions. And I am not your host, Rory Hearn. I am Tony Groves, the producer of Reboot Republic. And I really made a mess of that intro. But nonetheless, uh, the reason we're doing this today is because, Rory, congratulations, pal. You've Thank written you, a Tony. really excellent book. And, and you know, it's not just for me to say that because, but when I, when we've opened Reboot Republic, you do say the ho- hope and solutions part. That's the book as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, cheers. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of suffering going on out there and I want to tell that story. I do tell the story in the book, but importantly, I do point the solutions and show to solutions and put a lot of thought into those yeah i i did notice some of the feedback which is really people clearly hadn't read the book and they you know they picked up extracts and you were accused of being a a doom monger and you know sure where's where's the hope in that but that actually the hope falls off the pages if in 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 several parts now but you have to, in order to get to the hope you do have to dig through some of the stuff, and uh, you know. So one of the so main did you things, read it, Tony? So one of the main things I talk comes across is fundamentals of home. Did you read it? Yeah, I I I only finished it yesterday evening about, and then I had to go back and actually go back. You and, can and, actually authoritatively talk about it, as opposed to those gombeans who are making all these yeah. swipes at me and but, don't even read it. But don't look. <laughs> Again, I don't want to be distracted by it, but it's what it means. The simplistic thing is where the people are looking at the extracts. And of course, if you're going to put those things out to the public to try and, you know, generate people to want yeah, to buy no, the book, true. That's true. you have to tell these stories. But can we start at the, um, the, the what you've called a new value system for the economy? And I think that's, it's probably on the, what, two thirds of the way through the book where we get into the meat of this, what yeah. that means. Now, again, I'm probably going to be biased and bring it back to some of the stuff we've talked about on the podcast. But at the same time, 
What do you mean by that, by a new value system for the economy? Uh, and it reminds me actually of what, um, reading it, I could actually hear what Richard Murphy said to us the other day on, on the pod about needing a better song. You want to play a better song, is, is I put it to you. Yeah, absolutely. No, it it is. And the book was about trying to shift our whole way that we see what what is called property, but is actually homes, people's homes. And that's why it's called gaffes, you know, because it was trying to really pull the whole conversation away from this obsession with units, you know, property, supply and demand that these are people's homes, like the physical buildings that are all around our towns and cities and the new ones we need and the derelict and the vacant ones, they're all homes or potential homes. And that's the way we need to see them. And the problem is that the whole conversation and the economics approach, the mainstream economics approach to property, to housing, to real estate, is to look at them as commodities and investment assets. And land is looked at that way, property. And so we we end up, as I show in the book, with this utterly insane situation of 188,000 vacant or derelict properties while you have you know, could house the homeless population 20 times over. The, one of the things, you, to go, okay, just, I'm, I'm going to quote you. To have your own home is to have your place in the world. Now, I can remember sitting in a hotel lobby with you probably around 2017, and we spoke to Lilani Farah, who mm. then was the UN Special Rapporteur for Housing. You were already on this journey to talking about home as a place. And I remember yourself and Lilani talking about, you know, the, the pathway to human dignity leading to your own front door. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is very clear when you talk about the experiences that I hate to be negative, but these are the true experiences of what we're doing to children, to generations of children. Now you, you explore that in some detail. Um, and uh, do you want to just talk a little bit about that and, and why people need to, why we need to take that? We need to own up to that and be be honest about that before we can talk about the solutions. Yeah, I spent a lot of time, and you know, we've talked before about this, you know, you mentioned back in 2017, um, because at that same time, um, I was doing research with uh, Mary, my colleague Mary Murphy and Minute with homeless families on the impacts of emergency accommodation on them and the whole HAP scheme and, and the disaster that that was. And um, and I remember doing the research with them and talking to them and them talking and meeting their children as well. And them talking about the impact of going into the emergency accommodation on their children. And I was utter like I have my own kids, you have kids, you know, we understand children and well, at some level we do, but you know what, what their needs are. And we try to respond to them. But these were, you know, parents in situations where, you know, the child was literally, as they said, been withdrawn in school. And even before that 2017, I remember going to a march, um, one of the first housing homelessness marches in Dublin in 2014 um, and supporting them. And it was organized by a group of families who were in emergency accommodation themselves. And I remember walking along Connell Street and seeing these children in school uniform, probably no more than seven or eight. And they had a little poster stuck on their school bag saying, I'm age seven and I'm homeless. And I remember that day just going, this is wrong. Mm. This is wrong. And that's that's eight years eight years ago. And since then, you know, I've been trying to show that this damaging impact on children through research, through highlighting it. But then in the book I was reading about it and I was doing a lot of research around the psychology of yeah. home. 
interesting which is something because you, you do go into that in, in a lot of detail in terms of your place in your world what it means to you what it means beyond because it's a, it's and it goes back to what i said at the outset that value system it's not yeah bricks and mortar it's not a yeah. commodity to be traded so maybe talk a little bit about that because i think yeah, that's it's, really it's important. really interesting i think it's so important because it pulls the conversation a whole other direction than stats or whatever you know what number of units you're building or landlord's income versus whatever um that the idea it starts with like and i start with maslow's hierarchy of needs which is you know everyone a lot of people would know it but I went through it and I don't know if anybody has before done this, but I went through each level of the pyramid and looked at how each aspect of human need and what role home played in that. And I went to every level from shelter because people always say, oh, you know, we need shelter because it's in Maslow's hierarchy. The most basic you know, need is there. And if we don't have shelter, but I went way beyond shelter and looked at psychologically things like belonging. You know, if you don't have a home, you can't meet a human need to belong. But it's not just not having a home. And I was thinking about people in the private rental sector and also the generation locked out stuck at home, which I show are phenomenal numbers, which we've talked about before. Yeah, we've talked that, about before. But you've, again, I'm sorry to keep cutting in, but you've entire chapter dedicated to that that phenomenon. And and again, more solutions to it. So we will we might touch that and that in a yeah. while. But continue, yeah. yeah. And actually, Killian Woods, when he was launching my book there in Hodges Figures, he gave a lovely uh, introduction to it. But he said to me, he was quite struck by that, that he hadn't really thought about that generation and mm. the impact on them psychologically, their mental health. And so that's where I, I was kind of going. I was starting from trying to understand, OK, how does home affect all these aspects of us? Sense of belonging, sense of security, self-esteem, mental health, because there's a long like coming from social policy. Like our research around like an, the foundation of social policy is the idea of the welfare state. You need a welfare state to provide guaranteed basic needs. But housing was always looked as, as a health intervention. You know, that when we go back to the tenements and, you know, housing was a public health measure. But now we understand there's a whole other side of health, which is mental health and, you know, psychology. And I think that's where there's a real potential for us to really break through in terms of values and understand you have people have to get a secure, affordable home. And I think it challenges fundamentally the way in which we organize our economy and society today. This idea that everybody should be flexible. You know, everyone can be precarious. Everybody you know, wants to be Rory. Is one everybody of the wants myths. to be just, you know, the whole notion. And it drove housing policy. Yeah. And Owen Murphy was at the heart of it. You know, Fianna Gael were at the heart of it. It was, you know, and it was not just them, but like it was policymakers. It was, you know, the real estate funds. Everyone is peddling it. Millennials just want to rent. You know, they're happy renting and you actually go, it's utterly false. Mm. They might be happy renting if they'd lifetime secure affordable homes. But in the Irish rental sector, you can't get you can't have that sense of security. And I talk about it. You, know, uh, you don't just talk about it, but you, you actually tell again, part of going back to the podcast. One of the things to give you um, when we started, we talked about what we were going to do, but also yeah. the podcast evolved then into this kind of place where you knew there was a space for people to tell their stories. And the book became that as well. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot of personal stories in that book, some of which the genesis came from maybe the conversations we had here. I know with, they did. No, people. the podcast. It, it, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying I'm just what I'm saying to you is how we took that forward. You took that forward. You know, I, I remember we were having that conversation, me and you. And I was like, going, how comfortable are we going to be having these personal conversations? Yeah. How comfortable yeah. are we going to be sharing those conversations? Yeah. Because they were difficult conversations that hand, had to be handled with um, with, with, with care and, and respect for the people who are going to share yeah and 
and we and we've been very careful about I think we've been very careful about it um and we've tried our best but it actually translates I think even better into the book yeah well no I think the podcast was absolutely fundamental in that in providing that space and I think you know it wasn't something that we set out to do with the podcast it was something that evolved and you know I, I, it was particularly around when um I <laughs> took the when Killian Woods broke the story about the investor funds in May and then I went on and took on Pat Farrell on primetime it kind of really spiraled from then in the sense that what I was seeing people started speaking then out you know they were like this investor fund has bought our homes our future has been utterly dashed here um, and I said to people we need to speak out about this and people started messaging me on social media via Instagram and Twitter going, you know, this is my situation. And I was like, we need to hear these stories. We need yeah. to get out them. And where I was struck by as well, I was thinking and watching repeal and equality, marriage equality and hearing the power. I remember been listening. It was actually Liveline of all places um, during repeal and hearing a couple of the personal stories. And the country was moved by them mm. because they could connect on a human level. And I said, that's what we need in housing. We need people to hear the personal stories. And so the podcast we've had, and, and there's people, and you know, Rob, for example, who we yeah. had, who told his story. He was up at the launch. It was amazing to have him there. He's in the book. His story All, all six foot three of them. Jesus Christ. Yes. He's, he's, uh, he's a, a big handsome ha- man. Oh, he's got yeah. a, do, you know, do you know he does modeling on the side? I, I, I was asking him. I was asking him. Yeah. yeah. How's it going? And uh, he's yeah. uh, he's doing great on it. No, he's he's brilliant and you know he i was chatting to him and he was taking a book home for his parents as well and you know i was asking him did they listen to the podcast and he was like oh i think my mom did you know and yeah and, and but that was part of it that i that i was really struck in listening to what rob had to say and i think that's where you know i do the podcasts are amazing because i do listen and mm. you do have to listen in a way that you don't kind of in constant debates or and i yeah, heard but, him- but can, can i say something on this and again this is to give you credit it was that ability to have empathy yeah, that, that that and and that was earned because you've done four hundred episodes of this thing. So when you've done that, but now. you know when you think about that, that's yeah. where like if we arrived at this on day one, we'd never have gotten there. But the no. fact that you, you all of that effort that's gone in, so that's what's done that now. But th- there is an important thing I want to talk about in the book that you make a really good case for, because we keep seeing, and I saw it only today. And I, again, this is this is going to contextualize it for listeners. And Rory, you wouldn't be aware of this, but like GE in in the US are are, are announcing globally nearly letting go twenty percent of their uh, off onshore wind energy staff, right? Because this usual the push is on again to. The combat between oh, what's happening in Ukraine? They're they're putting out there is, is saying that we it's putting pressure on us. Whereas we should be pushing for better climate action, more climate action. Mm-hmm. And you link in a, one of the best pieces you've, I've seen, I've read. You link climate act policy to housing policy and show yeah. how they're yeah. handling glove. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's again, I think it's something that. We don't see enough of, and we don't see it in policy enough. And you point that out, that there's an inequality in policy as well. Yeah. Yeah. I really, um, you know, and working with HarperCollins, and I say, I have to say HarperCollins, the publishers have been absolutely amazing in terms of, you know, when they came to me and said, would you be interested in writing, you know, something that would really connect with people and tell that story of how we got here. And, you know, they, they were from the start, they said, you know, you write what you what you need to write and we'll, you know, we'll stand with you. They never tried to say, oh, that's, you know, that's a bit mad now, or you can't be saying that, you know, they were, they were very supportive and, and they helped me because it was a challenge to try and 
you know, I've written in policy lots and to try and write in a way that, um, you know, would connect with people. I suppose anybody would pick it up and be able to read it and and make it accessible. And, and I hope I've done that. Um, but the climate one was one area where I really felt very, very strongly about that in, in seeing its connection. And it's back to that value change that you talked about in the economy, because, you know, we're in this crisis of housing and it is the biggest social crisis facing the country. But we also face an existential crisis as a species and a planet in terms of climate. And they are very connected and they can be even more connected because if we think about it, and there's a lot of people do a lot of work in this, you know, we have to meet human needs and we have to meet the planet's needs and they can combine, but they can't combine when you simply are based on a model of constant consumption, endless growth, um, and this huge resource waste. Like when you look at, for example, I talk about climate, how we can address both. There's three things you can do. We can retrofit homes. And this is vital because the other part, what I bring in is the question of to have the transition to a zero carbon economy, it has to be socially just. It absolutely has to be. And I think that's missing a lot. There's a lot of talk of the just transition. It's written into the climate action plan, but I don't see it been delivered in terms of reality um, in practice. And so we, we need to ensure everybody can get their home retrofit. A key energy measure, um, cost saving. And so that's one thing, right, that, that needs to be done. The other is all new homes need to be completely passive. Um, the market isn't doing it. The market isn't putting solar panels on homes. They're not integrating, you know, biodiversity into, into the new homes. And the third thing then is the dereliction and vacancy in our towns and villages. Like private property ownership and, you know, is just been allowed to dictate. We have these 188,000 vacant derelict homes when they're the most environmentally sustainable ones. The infrastructure is there. Yeah. And the state, I think in terms of, for me, it's like we can, and, and the other area is renters, of course, the inequality oh, yeah. of private you, renters. You, you talk about the, the the fact that even, you know, private renters can't avail of any of these policies to people. And, and, it and is. even worse, hmm. if their landlord engages in a major refurbishment to retrofit, gets a state retrofit grant, potentially could evict you and jack or jack up the rent significantly. Hmm. I'm going to interrupt your podcast right there. And the reason I'm going to interrupt it is to tell you a bit about the Tortoise Shack. The Tortoise Shack was set up five years ago and we've done over 900 podcasts on the Echo Chamber podcast alone. And there are other podcasts on our platform. And you're probably listening to one of those podcasts now, either Re Reboot or one of the other great podcasts on our platform. We only survive by having patrons. And I understand it's difficult for everybody at the moment. Everybody's feeling the pinch. But if you want to know why you're feeling the pinch and understand the reasons behind why you're feeling the pinch, well, then the tortoise shack is the source for you. Now, there are people listening to this who can afford to be patrons. So please sign up and become a patron. Remember, the tortoise shack survives on patrons alone. Pay it forward. Let those who can't afford to listen to it, listen to it on your dime. That's what this is all about. Informing people, making sure they know why they are where they are and how to, to solve these situations and make things better for everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm going to let you go back to your podcast now. And and, you know? and and none of that takes cognizance of, I mean, you couldn't have known when you're sitting down to write this book that we'd be heading into, you know, 
an inflationary cycle, a uh, interest rate hikes on, on all of these things and all of the other pressures now. It on, was starting though. It was. It no, was, it, absolutely. But, but not, you, not but, to the scale of what, it, what it's at, no. But I do talk about it and I talk about because it was there even before Ukraine, the energy. Well, well before then we knew yeah. we, we like like the cost of living crisis only began for a certain socioeconomic class this year. Yes, it's, yes. it's been ongoing. And, and so that's the cost of survival crisis for renters for a hey, long time. There you but go. That's, but I suppose, Tony, the important thing, this is that I would like to frame it as that's the hope. Mm. That's the hope. It. The hope it is that we can transform our country and hopefully provide a model for the world to become sustainable, to provide everyone sustainable, affordable homes. But that requires a, a massive state funding, a massive state intervention. And, and I make the case for a state construction company. I think it's central to doing that. Can, 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 I, can I come in and just and again? Sorry, I just want to say in that it's not like this monolithic state should do it. People should be empowered and supported. Individuals, communities, like this communities, the self-organized um, architects. Um, it's SOA, I think I have it right. I have it in the book. Um, yeah. It, it, there's groups in Wicklow, for example, who've come together and said that they want to build a community of 10, 20 homes, sustainable biodiversity. They have access. They've been savings. Yeah. They can't get land. And the state has all this land. Okulon, for example, co- the, you know, Hugh, we've had on so many times. Similarly, can develop sustainable homes, community led, community delivered. They can't get the land from the state. And you're going like we could be empowering individuals, communities. So it's not like this monolithic state does it. Mm. But I do think the state has to give people the capacity. Well, the, the, the land issue is always something that like, and we will, I think we're going to be talking to Jude and Frank about their election yeah. and, and coming up in a podcast uh, shortly. But I just think one other thing that's important to point out is it's a broad tent. And I think that's one thing that you do really well. You capture really well in this book. And that's because too often, when we talk about this, we don't see the intersectionality. We don't yeah. see the issues around traveler accommodation budgets not being spent. You know, the shame that yeah. that brings on. And and you do cover the, you know, the you do cover that and particularly around people with disability, persons with disabilities and, and, and the likes of that. But there's one line that, that it's just it's just a very simple line. And I think we need to realize this all the time. It's really, really simple. But I underlined it. They have to be affordable. Because by definition, over and over and over, we see these developments that are being delivered and they say up to 20% will be affordable. Yeah. And we accept that as a society. And that's the value shift I think you're getting at. That you cannot have a situation where we're saying we're going to deliver two and a half thousand units now on this thing. We're going to break ground in it and up to 20% are going to be affordable. And that is the that is the key to this. I know you've got. We can maybe touch on some of the solutions. I don't. No spoilers in many ah, ways. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but but you get my. You know what I mean, Rory. It's that idea of affordability linked into because because you cannot live. Me and you were talking last week about about uh, the state's really really underwhelming performance on delivering cost rental and how they've decided it's based on a model of a hybrid model of cost rental and yeah. it's the, the rents are still extraordinarily extraordinarily high extraordinarily high extraordinarily high yeah yeah and I, as i said to you they may need to look at uh, bringing hap in for that which i don't think would be a bad idea because actually it would mean that hap would underpin state investment rather than going to private landlords and investor funds um and that could be a way to bring down cost rents um for people um, but I think that you're absolutely right. The question of affordability is key 
because all the policy has been about supply, supply, supply. And, and as I say in the book, again, you know, people know, and, and I say it, and it's hard to say it, but I said the government wanted to make housing unaffordable policy and, and you know brendan o'connor was kind of looking at me and saying you know he, he read it out like because he knows he the- read it out and he said you couldn't have meant that when you wrote it could yeah you? yeah but he read it out because he knew the truth in it hmm. and he wanted to say suggest though that of course it's not true but i made the point and i and I explain in the book that that is policy because the policy is based on how do you get the market working and the only way to get the market working is you raise prices to the point at which developers, investor funds decide it's profitable to invest, which means raising house prices and making them unaffordable. So if your policy is not about making housing affordable, but making it um, viable for the market, then your policy is to make housing unaffordable. And so I just, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people will be quite shocked by that. And I think that I think that there's some shocking stuff in there again when I went back over, you know, even for me and, and I was getting enraged right? <laughs> researching like the stuff with NAMA and what they've done, hmm. and what they did, you know, to bail out, you know, developers and bringing in the investor funds. And I was really struck by, you know, because we've been debating over and back with Seamus Coffey on, on, on the Twitter wars and the finance. I was, ta- I was talking to him yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and, and he Seamus, told me to get out of that garden is what he yeah. said. <laughs> ah, Seamus is great. Seamus is, least, is all up for the discussion on it. I, you know, I, I think Seamus engages in good faith. Some of them don't. Ah, he does, absolutely. No, he is. And he's going on the basis of what statistics are mm. as he sees them and interprets them. But the whole point is you only have statistics that um, are available at a certain level. But the Department of Finance, now I missed this, um, they produced a report, I think came out last month, which showed that, I don't have the stats to hand here, but that um, investor funds bought close to 5,000 units Mm. last year and that 11,000 of all 11,000, so that's one in five of all homes bought in 2021 um, was by non-households. Yeah, that was the key, yeah. There was about 4,000, sorry, and the number they gave is 4,000 by uh, the state. So if you take 4,000 from 11,000, that leaves you 7,000. So there's numbers that aren't been accounted for that are being bought by non-state and, entities, but they're obviously not. Do you understand? Like, well, yeah, but but one of the like key- three thousand missing units that were bought by somebody, but it wasn't a, a state. But, but many of those don't don't show up because but this is the thing. Because the the the, the REITs, by the way, can opt into non-stamp duty um, transactions. They yes. can. They, so 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 it doesn't show up in Seamus's this. Well, this is the thing. Logic. So, yeah, th- yeah, this is the thing. It's not that. So the stats that we're seeing are not completely accurate and and investor funds are playing a much greater role. And the story by Killian Woods in the Business Post last week on the estate and swords mm. was quite damning. I think the fact that despite like government claimed it introduced these measures, but yet here was an investor fund paying between 800,000 to 1.7 million for houses mm. in a in a suburban estate and and this is the argument, you know, that we need to get them out of it and can we, we need to stop. Can we come um, back to the book? Because yeah. we'll have these conversations as, as we go on um, as, as the podcast continues and no doubt. But we just want to come back to the book. And actually, I, I want to I've, I've obviously, I've, as I said, I've made a few notes, but what do you of, think of it overall reading it? How do you um, find it? 
it's a, use the word accessible. It's absolutely accessible. Now yeah. I'm obviously going to be biased, so that's true. I come in with the with the eyes of someone who's who's known you and also known the work that we've done. Yeah. I I I read Fintan O'Toole's review with uh with, with some interest, you know, and and he he saw the the lecturer, the university lecturer in you. That's that's a fair comment to make, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I I actually saw less of them because you were much more the university lecturer five years ago when we began this process. Yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so I'm somewhere on that spectrum of, of like, oh no, 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 that's not that's not the university lecturer. Um you you've become more of a storyteller. Then, yes. then, then, and I think that's and I was where, trying to tell it as a story, and I and there you go. So I think that comes across in the pages, um, and you know, so so I was reading Finton's re- review, which, by the way, you know, which was a great review, but I thought mm. it was quite funny. He 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 spent. Um, letting people inside the tent for or behind the curtain, as they say, for a while. Sometimes when Rory was writing the odd thing, he might send it to me and say, "Have a read of that." And I generally would strip out the first three paragraphs, wouldn't I, and say, pa- yeah. "Paragraph four is your is your opener." Yeah, yeah, for uh, the uh, different articles that I'd sent uh, to you. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, find yeah. I found the same with Finton's that he was like the first three paragraphs were about him growing up in Crumlin. <laughs> And yeah. I was like, yeah, we I don't think, need that. I think, no, no, I no. Think, but the to book be fair itself, to him, no, I think I, he was trying to to make yes. the human connection, which was the point of the book but, as well. But, but my, there's, this is it. It's a story. There yeah. are lots of stories. And and again, it, it's, it would be unfair of me to say that I'm not biased. Of course I am. I've, I've had a front I've had a front seat, front row seat to this as, as it's been going on. But at the same time, I think I'm hopeful that actually and hopeful is the big word that I take away from the book. That yeah. there's actually that v- value shift, even if we don't see it played out in much of the commentariat. I think it's I think it's there from the bottom up now. Mm-hmm. I do think it's there. Mm-hmm. One thing I did want to ask you, and it's it's related to the book, but n- doesn't doesn't feature specifically. This week we saw the like for years when you were talking about this, and I know you firsthand experience of it. And one of the earliest people we had, you'd read a Fagan in, and that. The idea then we you talked about this this model we wanted to move towards in terms of a mix of of social affordable cost rental all of these and we were told the likes of St Michael's estate was going to be the one you know that was the flagship every every TD would say to you oh look what we're going to do in St Michael's estate this week they turned around and said oh and by the way uh, x number of these are going to be for profit they're going to be uh, private developer market led how does the how do you use something like your book to actually say, well, this is the problem. Everything we do gets corrupted by these this for profit market driven exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, and I, obviously, I'm aware that that's going on, but I I haven't been able to get into it in detail to understand exactly what's happening. Well, um, you do know, so you you were you were telling you were the person who told me about Saint Michael's Estate. No, no, no. I know. They, they, I mean, right now, right now, in terms of what they're at, um, of course, what. You know, I've been critical. And of course, I worked in it in Dolphins Barn um, and it was part of my PhD, you know, 15 years ago was looking at this whole it was called regeneration and public private partnerships. And and I talk about it in the book, it, it really stems from the idea, the ideology that social housing was a failed approach to deliver housing. Um, and I make at the center of my thesis of the, of the book, the story that I'm telling is that really that's at the heart of where we made where, where we went wrong was that the idea that social housing should be just restricted to the very poor and um inevitably then it becomes stigmatized and then policymakers point to it and say oh look what a disaster that is 
And so the way to, to then use to develop public land, which we still have lots of and land, was through these public private partnerships. And it was all, it was basically local authorities said, you know, back during the Celtic Tiger, we're not building social housing. So we'll hand it over to developers and they'll build a certain amount of social housing. We'll de-empty the estates of their communities because we don't value the communities on them. Um, and they're still at it. And and that's what my you know analysis of what that most latest thing seems to be another angle of that. But the, see that what they do is it is true that you should have a social mix in housing development. Of course you do. Of course you should. But the mix shouldn't be based on market non market. The mix should be based on you know you've elderly. You have, you know, people who do buy and own their home, but they can do that on a, the state can be providing that or cool on can be providing that it can be done on a non-market way. And, and I make the case in the book. And I think one of the my big ideas is that we create a new non-commodified market for housing, which I call um, New New Ireland Homes, and that you would have people can buy their home, but it doesn't go out into the wider market where it becomes a commodity and an investment asset. It stays within an affordable homes market that people can buy or sell into, but it's always basically um, maintained as affordable housing. And there's no reason why you shouldn't have a mix of you know, rental housing, cost rental housing, affordable housing to buy, but it's all non-market in the sense of it's not done it, by developers or the market. You but that's that, that's you take- a sustainable community. But this idea of, you know, you hand, you know, 20 or 30 percent of the land over to a developer or investor who's just going to make money off public well, land. Well, we've seen what we've seen, what like the likes of the O'Devney deal we saw. They're disastrous. We, yeah. And we saw what, what, like every, every prediction to give, you know, say maybe what Orla Hegarty said has come to pass. You know, they, 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 they would do this thing. Mel Reynolds was, the, was, I remember famously said, well, we're giving them this, this, they're giving us back a, a, uh, a youth center, but we're giving them a tax break on the on the on the far end. That's actually you know twice the price of what we're yeah. we're, we're getting for yeah. the, so all sorts of things that that's all already come to pass. You've you've preempted me by by saying that, but one question that that's not really in there in terms of the the stock, and I keep coming back to this because Ireland's stock of social affordable and housing is way too low. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Our overall and yeah. and, and this is where the the nonsense that um. Yeah, and it's nonsense. There's the government are, I think, twisting the truth at the moment (laughs) to put it to put it a certain way. And and you know they are trying to make efforts to change things, you know. And I think that they they really do think that they are making massive efforts and big change, but they they still don't get it. I think. and they're still too beholden to different interests and still trying to balance the interests of the market with uh, what they do. And that just leaves you forever going around in circles and not actually delivering on the scale that's needed. Um, but they, this claim that, you know, the state is now the biggest actor in housing, Michal Martin was saying. And But of our total housing stock, of the, all the homes in this country, only 10% are mm. social housing outside the market. If you go to places like Austria... You go to uh, Amsterdam, you go to the Netherlands, like in Austria, 50%, half of all their homes in Vienna are public housing for all different incomes. And that's the thing. So I think the big change that's needed is that we need to hugely increase our stock of non-market affordable homes. And they could be affordable homes to buy, affordable homes to rent, 
uh, for social and cost rental. And in one way, the cost rental is a great thing, but it needs to be done right and it needs to be scaled up. The other thing is that the affordable housing that they're delivering is nothing on the scale that's needed in terms of affordable to buy. And Okulon is sitting there. And as I set out, the model is there. You know, we need to just expand it. And that's where I see the hope that we have the ideas now. You know, we have and in some ways we have the start of the the implementation. But if it's just left at this level, you know, it'll just be continued crisis. Rory Heron, congratulations on your new book, oh. Gaffs. I do think it's really, really well worth going. Where People should go out and buy the bloody thing. They should. But the other aspect, what I do have in it, Tony, and I was wondering if you had it. I, I do say, you know, show what people can do. You've 10 asks of people at the I've, end. Yeah, I've 10 asks. And I, and I think that, you know, I do want it. And it was great. Harper Collins were supportive of me doing that, that this isn't just a book of ideas. It's the power of an idea and ideas and a story and telling the story, which is the human story. But it is also a call to action. Mm. It is. And it gives people a way. And I've set up a specific petition, mm. uh, which I'd like to give out. And I will be promoting. Gaffs for all. Gaffs for all petition. And we'll, we'll add, add it to the blurb of this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's on Uplift. Uh, mm. People can go over to sign it. And I really hope over the coming months uh, that that will garner massive um numbers of signatures and in it is is the 10 kind of solutions and i I suppose part of what i'm trying to do is give people something that they can do because people do feel very um despairing and obviously there's katu the tenants union there's raise the roof there's other work being done and i highlight that there's a court you know thresholds there's there's lots that people can do but we will need mobilizations and i think we will need protests over housing um and they will need to be very big and you know i think think yeah, no, I, I look the, just one of the things you've said, which is they, the, the government have commented on their own budget recently, which we know has done very little for to 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 change things in the housing. We've even seen some fall TDs go rogue and and demand finally uh, a ban on evictions. Yeah, uh, which uh, sorry, yeah, um, evi- which, which I actually ban. think is a sign. Yes, that we civil society and public pressure can actually have a real impact right now. Of course, because it can. Yep. And, that's, and, and make them do things they don't want to do or wouldn't ordinarily do. And I think we need to see that. Yeah. This is not about waiting till the next election. This is about getting that change now because people need those solutions now. Look, Rory, we're going to leave it there again. People look, I would recommend I, I've, I've been plugging this at the beginning of the podcast for the last uh, week for, for listeners, but try and buy it from an independent bookshop or from, you know, a, a, an Irish based bookshop or whatever Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. Just, yeah. you know, that's don't, that's, don't order it off Amazon. No, that's the, <laughs> that, that's the ask folks. And, 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 and again, congratulations on, you must be delighted. You deserve it. And, uh, and, and, and just to plug, I am doing a, a conversation on it in Kenny's bookstore in Galway on Friday the 14th at 6pm with in conversation with uh, Karen from Simon Communities um, and that's people can go on to Eventbrite and, and if they want to come along to that. If you don't buy the book and you want to see the most important thing, just skip to the very last page where I get thanks. So that's really important. <laughs> Rory, and the Dublin libraries are also having Yes, it. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, congratulations, pal. Thank you so I, much, I, Tony. I really enjoy it. Uh, listen, folks, we'll be back shortly. As I said, we are going to talk. One of the one of the things Rory said, said in his asks is to take pictures of derelict and vacant properties. And the people who I think deserve a lot of credit for doing that and be making it bringing it mainstream or Jude and Frank and we're going to come back to them shortly they, they they've 
they've helped change the way people view this 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 housing crisis so uh, Rory will be back talking to them soon as well talk to you all very very soon thank you so much take care bye bye